You know, it was months ago that uh, Tim was putting out a preaching schedule, and, and he asked, uh, Kelly, you want to do this? And I, I think he knew there was no really question in that, it was somewhat rhetorical. It's more like, Kelly, you're going to do this because you're an elder, and as a qualification for elder, you've got to be able to teach, and how are we going to find out if you could teach if you don't teach? Uh, so I accepted the assignment, joyfully, in fear, uh, because I don't like standing in front of many people, talking with awesome responsibilities, and, and that is what I consider teaching the Word to be, an awesome responsibility. Uh, if you want to be humbled and you, you think you know what that means, have your granddaughter be in the audience, and you'll know what an awesome responsibility is. Take the people you love most, and I will point out every one of you as that, and I know that I have an awesome responsibility. So I should run and, and like a turtle, put my head in the shell and, and quit because I'm not capable. And if, if I left it on me, I would do just that. But I'm totally good with this because it's not on me, it's on Jesus. He knows what he wants taught, and I'm just going to follow his lead. Uh, so, let's do this. Uh, you think very often about our church's mission and vision. Do you, do you know what the words are? Um, some of us can recite them by memory. Some of us can't. I'm not one who can. If they're up on the screen, you could read them and you could cheat and you know what they are. But there's more to reading them to know what they are. Uh, once they're up there, as they are, you, you can take a look at them and you can, yeah, you can sort of figure it out. And, and if you're a member here, you've probably already bought into them. Uh, at least you said you did, because one of the things that we do as elders when we interview new members is we go over these. And we, we're sure that you know, if you're not practicing in full, at least you, you understand what you're signing up for. It's, it's one of the things that makes our body distinct is we focus heavily on these. Uh, but there's, there's something even more intentional than that. It's letting them sink deep into your heart. I use little tricks to remember things. I shorten them. And I, I've, I was told a long time ago when I started my career, a, a fellow that I, I don't even know where he is anymore, but he gave me some real sound advice in my professional life. And he said, Kelly, I don't need you to remember everything about anything. I just need you to remember something about everything. And when you remember that something, you're able to expand it in your mind. It's like, oh yeah, that was, that was a Tuesday morning. Maybe that's all you remember. But then it starts piecing back together. It's like, yeah, I came in late that day, which is very unusual for me. And one of the first guys that came up to me was, was Ken, and he asked me, what do you know about Billy Cash and the fact that he didn't get his toilet yesterday? And then it just all starts coming back together. And, and it could be something that happened years ago, but if you could remember that little something, then you could start building on the whole. And my little something for these is the, the make disciples. If you can remember make disciples, you can piece together the rest. 
Uh, maybe you make it a little bit longer, glorify God by making disciples, and then you can continue to build pieces. And then the, the other one, I think, is the three W's. Worship, it's not like dot-com thing. It's worship, walk, and witness together. It doesn't say the whole deal, but it starts to remind my heart, what did I sign up for? Now, you could do your own little tricks to remember them, but that whole notion of you're glorifying God by doing them is the point. It's the part that you want to let sink into your heart. You want to do these things, and you want to do them together as a body. Um, But that then begs the question, what is our church doing to prepare the body to pull these off? I kind of challenge the question, who are you asking to prepare you? If you're saying, well, the the leadership, I, I want the elders to put together all the preparation for me to understand how I'm going to do those things. And the elders take a responsibility. They, they do try and put together um, teaching from the pulpit or other classes. Uh, they try and put you in positions to do these things. But if you're thinking it's by the hand of the elders that you're going to be led to do this, you were close. You looked to the leadership of the church, but you missed by a little bit. Let me take you by the hand and tell you who can do this. It's Christ himself. Christ is going to equip you to do these things. Who better than the king of the kingdom to prepare you for the kingdom and prepare others for the kingdom? The text we'll look at this morning, Romans 12, I believe is one that gives very practical instruction on kingdom service. That's what both statements are focused on. When you really think about it, when you're, when you're trying to do things together, and it includes witnessing to others, you're doing these things as service. When you're making disciples, that's doing things in service. So service is really the strength of both of the, 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 the vision and the mission. I think it's Proverbs 32.1 that tells us, God loves man of selfish ways. No, it doesn't say that, because it's not biblical. In fact, there is no Proverbs 32. If you were flipping through your Bibles, I'm sorry. Being selfish is not a biblical principle. Serving others is not being selfish. Serving others is central to the gospel. You think... You need only think of Jesus suffering on the cross to realize what real service can be. Fortunately, we don't have to go that far because he did once for all. But we do have to suffer. We do have to serve. We need to be living sacrifices for the kingdom. With that in mind, let's uh, stand if you're able and read the entirety of chapter 12 of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have, all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with, the lo- associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, or by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me see. I'm going to pray again because I need it. Lord Father, gift me. Give me my portion of faith that I'll need to be able to teach your word to this body and give them the strength and wisdom to hear the words that are right and the words that need to be dismissed if they be spoken. But I ask that you would replace all my words with yours. Give my teaching by your teaching. Give me the grace in portion how you would deem it for the better of your body. Lord, as we all come to you, we wish to do so in complete worship, not just phys- or mentally, but physically as well. Let us not be conformed to the world, but be transformed uh, to your kingdom, to be citizens of heaven here on earth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So your, your outline shows the places I'm going. But the top of it is my point, that you could test me and see if I follow. That living for Jesus in his kingdom and in the manner he appoints maximizes the impact of our service to the body 
and the body's service intended for us. So it's by the kingdom, in the manner he appoints, and for our service to the body, and the body's service intended for all of us. Again, to read it. Living for Jesus in his kingdom, and in the manner he appoints, maximizes the impact of our service to the body, and the body's service intended for us. So where did I get that? Living for Jesus in the kingdom, I think, is in the first couple of verses. So we'll go over letting go of the world and grabbing onto God's kingdom in those two verses. And then verses 3 through 8 are living in service by the measure God has apportioned. So in the manner he appoints. And then the third one, the practical ways we are prepared to deal with, the, with others for and by God. And in deal with others, I mean with our spiritual gifts. So let's get started. Taking a proper look at uh, chapter 12 means we have to look back a little bit and see what chapter 11 is about. Adam gave a, a quality benediction a couple weeks ago. And he really went far with the therefore that's in that first verse of chapter 12. And he said the therefore is talking about everything, chapters 1 through 11. So let me read those. No? It's too much. I told you I like to shorten things so I could remember them. Mark lets me go as long as I want, but I'm going to not do that. What What I will do is just look back a little bit, just the very end of chapter 11. Verse 25 reads, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. And then connecting that to verse 32, For God has consigned to all disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Gentiles are to consider the promises meant for them as much as for the Jews. The the short version of the therefore, which Paul appeals to in verse 1, is God's choice was by grace and not by any act of the Gentiles or by anything owed to them. It is also not as some sort of rejection of the Jews. God's mind is unsearchable. Verses 33 through 36 tell you that in that same chapter. So what he is thinking is not ours to know. To us, we only have his word saying, this is by his grace, his mercy to his glory. So then in chapter 12, when it includes therefore, that's the therefore. Paul is speaking of God's mercy tied to his glory. Paul appeals that the Gentiles would be would respond to that mercy by presenting themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Paul makes this appeal not as payment for the inclusion, but in his words, as your spiritual worship. So we're not paying back the inclusion. We're not paying back that we're saved. We're to live as living sacrifices as our act of spiritual worship. We're to react and respond to God's mercy. 
Try to remember the best gift that anybody's ever given you, whether it's Christmas present, a birthday present. Um, maybe it wasn't one of those kind of occasions, but a wedding where God's given you a spouse. And try to think of your emotions and feelings and even words around gratitude and feeling blessed. Uh, maybe you, you uttered a, oh, you shouldn't have. But I'll bet one thing you probably didn't do was pull out your checkbook and try and pay for the gift. No, you accepted it as a gift. Not something that you paid for. Probably not something that you earned. Maybe you thought, yeah, I mowed the lawn really well yesterday, so I'm getting this gift. You know, these are, we know how to accept gifts from other people. And we need to learn to, to do the same thing with God. So, we're not going to get our checkbook and thank God for our salvation. Or you shouldn't anyway. But there is a response. It's not a payment though. I want to make that clear. There's a response to the gift. A response of gratitude. A response of worship. You spiritually praise and worship him without connecting that to any kind of pavement. So returning to the spiritual worship, beyond the emotional worship, as I mentioned in my examples of, of gratitude and feeling blessed, there is a physical way to respond. A simple and obvious example, and they were in many of the songs, we stand and lift up our hands. Maybe we fall to our knees in prayer. Those are physical ways we respond to God. Don't lose thought of a physical response of worship when presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. You are responding in prayer, and that may not show up physically, and it might, but that doesn't dismiss that there's still physical things to be doing. It's easy to think of our bodies being the physical side and our minds being spiritual. But I don't think Paul wants us to think that way. This thought is included in verse 2, where Paul warns us against the ways of the world. He doesn't tell us to just avoid the world, but to what? To be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a complete renewal that he's speaking about, though. And that may have started with the mind, but it needs to mature in physical ways. We'll be looking at those physical ways in a few minutes, but first we have to get straight how we have been prepared to do so. We need to be solid on the concept that we must let go of our worldly nature and grab on to discerning the God's will and admit that God's will is infinitely more practical for us than our own will. Then and only then are we ready to work by his grace and power for the kingdom. And that leads us to the next level, living and serving by the measure provided us by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And we move on to chapter or on to verses 3 through 8, living in service by the measure God has apportioned. 
So starting with verse 3, Paul immediately applies the fundamental theology of grace. By grace given to Paul, he speaks to or teaches us not to think too highly of ourselves. Why? Because it's not by our own strength that we do what we can in the kingdom. Paul gets that. He considers that what he teaches to be not of his strength, but by grace. He examples it as he says it. By grace, Paul is advising us about grace. He knows that he doesn't have the juice to really explain what grace is. But he's been instructed by God to do so and is empowered by God to do so, and therefore he can move forward with what he says. Very similar to where I can stand in front of Michaela and teach God's word, confident that it won't be my crazy thoughts, but God's perfect thoughts that will come through. Even if I don't get it right, she'll hear it right, because that's what God intends. So Paul's teaching us grace, or about grace through grace, and he's advising us that our talents and skills are that of the value, or that are of value to the kingdom, are by grace. I say our receipt of the gifts shouldn't be, con- or should be considered more like a license, not really belonging to us. It's a little odd to say. What I mean is they they aren't designed to keep or hoard. By license, I mean there are ours to use as licensed or as designed to be used. I don't mean the actual gift is to be passed on, but the impact is. For example, the gift of song. To be able to sing like a dove is not a gift possessed by me, or really not by everybody, but that gift, if being used in its design as a spiritual gift, would be used for helping others worship by leading out in song. So it's leading to worship. It's being used for the kingdom, and therefore I'm saying it's a spiritual gift. The same talent used not for the kingdom, I'm not saying is wrong, but when it's being used for worldly purposes, it's not a spiritual gift. So it seems like the same gifting is there. I I think of in terms as the gift versus the talent. The the talent is what can be used in the world. The talent turns into a gift when used for the purposes of the kingdom. Another example, and it's a real one here at the church. Running electrical lines in a children's wing. It's like, yeah. That's a spiritual act of worship. Well, it is. I mean, you think about the ramifications of that. Where are the kids right now? They're off learning about Jesus. Where? In that same children's wing. Is it in the dark? No. They've got lights. They've got power. They've got aids for the teachers to teach the children about the kingdom. So the act of crawling up in that attic and figuring out what wire goes where or whatever the heck Jeff does when he touches those things, he was using skills for the kingdom, so they became gifts 
So it's during our, our, our defining, not during, but our def- definition of how we can say, well, when is this a spiritual gift versus just a talent? You can simply look and say, was it for the kingdom? And you might have to ask, how is it for the kingdom? But if you can land on it was, then it is. Okay, it becomes the gift when used for the purpose of worship. The humility Paul is suggesting we use in his words with sober judgment, what does sober judgment conjure up in your mind? To me, the sober part means prayer, meditation, reflection, perhaps a discussion with a mentor, and to be very serious about it. And the judgment part to me means to do that with the purpose of landing on a decision. So you're, you're, you're praying, you're thinking through, you're getting help, and, and you're trying to find out, is, is this a gift? And, and not just is this a gift, but what is its purpose? That's all done with this sober judgment in mind. And if we ask, if it's for landing on a decision, what decision are we look to, to seek out? And this is very clear. It, it, I mean, it's right here. We don't have to wonder. I mean, it says, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So as we're in sober judgment, as we're praying and thinking through and meditating and talking with other um, mature believers that are discipling us, that we're being discipled by, that's the opportunities. And then we're doing this to try and discern what is the will of God. And you may be looking at, not, Lord, show me what my gifts are, but you've already been presented with something that you're thinking, I think this might be one of those. So now let me go to my sober judgment and let me test what the good and perfect will of God is on this gift. And if you can start checking off the boxes, then you're on track with, You've been gifted, and how are you going to use it? And then there's this really huge, powerful statement. He finishes up his sober judgment sentence with, each according to the measure of faith that God assigned. Have you thought about the theology of that? I mean, I was, I got stuck right there. When I first started working on this sermon, I was on, I think, six airline flights in four days. And you can do a lot of sermon writing on six airline flights in four days. Unfortunately, like two of those were spent on when I read that. What in the world? My faith is not my faith. My faith is portioned to me, appointed to me. Different different ways at different times and different gifts, but it says that the measure of faith that God has assigned. I mean, that's some pretty important theology we can't get past without considering for, for a minute. It's, it's really good to question your faith. I mean, usually when I hear, geez, I, you know, I, I question my faith. It, it, mean, it sounds like you're saying, I'm doubting my faith. But no, I'm telling you, test your faith. Wonder, am I using 
the faith that God has appointed? Have I gone all the way to the measure that he's proportioned it? Did I stop short and say, yeah, I believe in you, Lord? Or is he saying so much more and I'm just not paying attention to the bigger portion? Step back. Use the sober judgment. Allow yourself to, to really be stretched and start using the faith as it's appointed to you. Not is my faith strong enough, but am I, am I accepting the full measure of it? So I've been spending a lot of time on grace and faith, and I haven't got to the gifts at all, and I'm going to, and they're there. And I'm still not ready. It's important to get straight the why and how before we consider the what. If we are first convinced that we can do something, we have a much better ability to do it. It's called confidence. There's an advertising campaign out there, and if it were a better one, I'd probably be able to tell you what they're advertising, and I, and I don't know, but, but I really like it. I think they're funny. Uh, one of them is a guy doing tattoos, and he says, hey, stay in your own lane, bro, and, and I like the line, and I hear it used all the time, but my, my real, the one I like most is this doctor that he's getting ready to operate on a, pain, a patient, and he, he says something in the hall, like, hey, I was just reinstated, and the patient overhears that, and he's got this nervousness about him already, and, and the doctor must recognize that and, and says to the patient, hey, you feeling nervous about this? Well, honestly, Doc, yeah, I am. The doctor responds, yeah, me too. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll figure it out. Gosh, I, I suddenly lost all confidence in that doctor. And the doctor doesn't seem to have the confidence to operate on me, and that's why I lost my confidence in him, because he never had it in the first place. So... As funny as those ads are, the, the message is clear about the place confidence has in the performance of your gift and others' trust in you. Paul's telling us that same thing. The fullness of your faith affects the fullness of your impact. So the fullness of the faith that you have in that gift being assigned by God is the fullness, or it will impact the fullness on how you're using it is impacting the person you're using it for. So if it's in teaching, it's while I teach. And it's gonna, things are going to sort themselves out. I mean, God will do that. And it, it, I started with, I, I'm not the confident person in, in public speaking. But if my faith is full, that God's got my back, that he's going to supply what I need, for this to happen, that I fully trust he is not going to let you guys be misdirected, not let you stray off in some strange direction, because he won't let me fire off in some strange direction. And I have that confidence, and I ask that you can then have confidence in what you're hearing. So now Paul's ready to address the what of the matter. That's the how, now the what. Verse 4 is very straightforward. It's language that's easy to follow. 
In fact, let, let's just read it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same, do not all have the same function. Okay, so that's pretty clear. He's using anatomy. He's saying the body is like the human body. It's one body, but it's got many pieces. It's got arms, it's got legs, it's got eyes, it's got mouths. James is a little worried about it, but it's got a tongue. And these many members are going to act together for the purposes that the whole is designed. Those same body parts, when used correctly, you know, I mentioned that James is a little concerned about this tongue. Well, when they're used correctly, the tongue, instead of being busy in gossip, can be used to admonish gossip. I mean, it's both words, but one is not used for the kingdom and the other is. And the tongue, its little individual member, if used properly, is to the benefit of the whole. And, and then in verse 5 he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of the other. The duality of at once being members of the body and being the body is one that insists the function of the part is used to support the entire. The whole doesn't fulfill its design without the members, and the members don't fulfill their, their design without the whole. I'm not even going to try and explain that any deeper. I mean, it's, it's, it's to say that the critical one, the heart, if it's not beating, the body isn't living. Okay? That heart though, can't exist for its function without the other pieces being in place. I mean, the brain sends electrical impulses, and you know, some doctor in the audience could tell more about exactly how that works, but I'm pretty sure if you were to sever my head, my heart stops. And if you were to pull out my heart, my head dies. You know, so they're so vitally connected for the design of the whole body functioning. Each piece is so necessary to the whole. And the whole has to all come together for the sake of the pieces. That's what Paul's saying. If you want to explore this concept, the, the very words about one body and members, there's a kind of a mirror passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, God, just dawned on me. We're in 12, it's in 12. I, I wonder, I probably should have even looked it up, but what is the timing of Paul writing this stuff? Could it possibly be that right after Paul pens one letter or the other, whichever is first, that he immediately went to write the other one? And he thought, man, I've got this concept of one body and many parts in my head. I, I better get this down. And, you know, I like that so well that now I'm going to write... Corinthians, and I'm, I'm going to say the same thing. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe that is what he's done. But if this scripture is spirit-breathed, then I'm thinking God's tying it together for us. 
He's usually using one to confirm the other. So you can match it up and say, yeah, okay, it's, this is where I think it, it's going, and, and I can confirm it not by my thoughts, but by more scripture. So if, if you want to study 1 Corinthians 12 and a little bit of 13, uh, either as a personal study or it's a great one for life groups, just to take a look and compare and contrast those two verses and, and figure out what this one member, one body thing is all about. And hopefully that you'll tease out that it's not just one body, but it's one body in Christ. Okay. But let's return to, to chapter 12. Verses 6 through 8 is a list of gifts. And it's not an exhaustive list of gifts. There are other gifts other than what are being presented right there. So if you don't have one of these gifts, you still probably have a gift. It's just not on this list. And if you're wondering, well, Kelly, is that biblical? Can you say that there's other gifts outside of this one? And I can, out of that chapter that I just sent you off to, uh, Verses 12, 28, I think it starts, starts listing other gifts. And, and some of them are the same as these, but he, he adds, um, what was it? Administration. <laughs> Sorry, that's my place. Uh, he adds, adds the gift of administration. And I think what that does is it freezes up to say, okay, this is not the exhaustive list. And you don't have to stop and say, well, I got this list, and I got the one that's in 1 Corinthians, and okay, now that's the entirety. No, I, I'm saying that with this list and knowing that God leaves room for others means he totally leaves room for others, and there's other gifts. But it's not a freedom of, I can call anything a gift. These gifts can be tested, and there's a, a vehicle for doing that in these verses right here. And I'll talk a little bit more about that one also in a minute. So you gotta, you gotta save up all these things that I'm intending to talk about, but we gotta figure out how to get theirs first. Um, I wanna pay special attention to Paul's instruction in verse six though. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and it should be in capital letters, let us use them. I emphasize this instruction over the specific gifts because that instruction applies to all gifts. They're there to be used. Okay, if you took nothing else from this message, please, please take that. It is such an act of worship that benefits the body. When we commit to worshiping God, the use of gifts is way up there on the list of practical ways to do so. So having ourselves grounded firmly in the kingdom and away from the world, being transformed, and acknowledging that our gifts are proportioned by or measured by the faith that God has assigned, and knowing God has given different gifts to teach, Paul's use of each implies everyone in the body has, or has had, or will have one or more, that they are for and of the body. We can now move to verses 9 through 21, which are very practical examples of the body supporting one another. 
You're thinking, when's he ever going to get to those gifts? It's in the application. Trust me, I am going to get there. Um, but 9 through 21 is, is, to me, God explaining to us that the, the outcome of using the gifts is Christian living. Attributes of how we get along with one another. Preparing us to deal with one another. Um, in, in my, if, if you can just give me a little segue, th- or a, a sidebar, whatever. Uh, I have in my ESV version, uh, sometimes my chapters will have a little heading to them or subheading. And before you start verse 9, 21, or uh, verse 9, it says the marks of a true Christian. And to be honest, I'm kind of disappointed it's there. First of all, if you're new to the Bible, those headings are not in the, man, in the original manuscript. So just keep that in mind as you read them. And if, if you struggle with what they're saying, you don't find it helpful, it's okay to dismiss them. I warn you, be careful, because they're... Um, they're there by the hands of people who have spent a lot of time in prayer in preparing you to read the next section and have put it there. This particular time, I think it breaks up verses 9 through 21 from the gifts, and I don't think that's what Paul intended. And I'll explain how here. I'll also explain that as I go down this road, I'm not fighting what's happened here. They are marks of a true Christian. I'm just saying it's interrupting the thought process a little bit, separating these a little too much. I'm wondering why, or since Paul didn't put the subtitle in there, what is the thought process to jump into uh, things that aren't specifically talking about gifts anymore and start talking about things like Christian love or how you are behaving with the body. So I'm going to try something here and it might be a disaster, but I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to read out of order. And I, I don't do this lightly. I mean, I thought, man, Kelly, can you, can you do this? Can you read from the gifts paragraph and then a completely different paragraph, read from that and mix them around and still be true to God's word? And I spent a lot of time praying about it. And I landed on, I have no problem going over to 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about Romans 12, cross-reference. You all agree that's fine. What I'm doing now is I'm simply making a very short jump as my cross-reference. I am using Scripture to support Scripture. To connect the two, I'm almost going to treat it as one paragraph. So bear with me. What I'm going to do, I'm going to bounce between the verses before that thought-breaking subtitle and the ones after so there's gonna, I'm going to read from 
from the paragraph before in unison with the paragraph after. In fact, here's the detail. I'll read verse 6 before, and then verse 9, which comes after. I'm going to read verse 7, then 10. Part of 8, then 11. The rest of 8, then 13, 15, and 16. And then all the way back to 3. So if you use this podium as between 8 and 9, I'll read from this side and then this side. I'm just going to bounce back and forth. So here we go. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, let love be genuine. If service in our service, the one who teaches in his teaching, love one another with brotherly affection. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with one another, or rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, or, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The words are connected. Now, I happen to agree with the way Paul ordered it because he did it by the Spirit. I'm, I'm not changing that. I, I love the way he put it. I'm just saying don't disconnect the thoughts. They follow one another very closely. Does it help you know, to point out that Paul's explaining that the gifts that are intended to serve are simply elements of Christian living that have a focus on God? Okay? As you're doing the Christian living, accept that there's going to be a huge amount of spiritual gift usage. You know, the, our daily Christian life will be impacted by the gifts that God gives. Uh, the gifts aren't going to be reserved for official church gatherings, and they aren't going to be excluded from them either. There are going to be a multitude of times when you're going to use the strength and grace of God, gifts of His, for living with one another. I mean, look at verse 18 with me. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's not all believers. It's all, period. Everyone out there, live peaceably with them. It's going to require gifts. Not everybody's going to want to be lived peaceably with. And you're not going to be able to figure out how to do this on your own. You're going to require God's gifts to pull it off. You know, one thing I love to point out about the qualification of elders is that even though the calling to use the gift of leadership isn't for everybody and and other gifts that are going to have to come with it, 1 Timothy 3.1 says, it's a noble task to aspire to the office. 
And what that tells me is that you can take this same approach of characteristics that you might think are missing from your life, the ones that are in verses 9 through 21, and if they are missing, aspire to the office, so to speak. Aspire to those gifts. Desire them. You may be lacking, but Jesus isn't lacking. Jesus has them all. He's got them down. He's got them down perfectly. And he's making it available to you. Okay, so we, we can do this. John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus asks us to abide in him and he will abide in you. The branch, that's us, can't produce fruit unless it is uh, unless it abides in the vine, which, which is Jesus. So that, that's what I'm saying here. You know what? Jesus can do it. We'll be a vehicle. Okay, we're, we're able to do this with God's indwelling us. And, and if you're a believer here, God is that. He indwells you in the Spirit. Um, so let's revisit that, that difficult instruction from verse 18. If possible, what does Philippians 4.13 say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, if possible, so far as it depends on you, and that's, that's a comment on, it's not a comment on self-reliance, it's a comment about you not being the other person. So just the part that is, is your side of this relationship that in dealing with others. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. John 14, 26, Jesus promised the Father, when Jesus promised the Father would send the Holy Spirit, his next words were, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You have to live peaceably with others? Trust him. He said he's leaving us his peace. You know, he's not leaving us just peace in general. He's leaving us his peace. It's ours to use with others. So when you think it's too difficult to live peaceably with all, it is too difficult for you to do it alone, but it is not too difficult for Jesus And if you let him take over, you can as well. Or at least you can give it efforts that are so far above your own ability. What I'm trying to say is whether it is using gifts while living in peace with others, or using gifts of hospitality while ushering in excellence and joy, or you pick the situation. God has put you, He is strengthening you. He indwelled you. He brought his attributes to you in the form of gifts. He is strengthening you to get his work done. Zechariah 4.6 Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, before it seems like I've skipped way too much, let's look at some application. I want to return to the gifts and the way Paul says to perform them. You know, I looked at that list of gifts that are sitting there in five, six, seven, eight, and I I made little notes. I left them in your uh, bulletin notes, and I singled them out. 
prophecy in proportion of faith, serving and service, teachers teaching, uh, exhorting, exhort, uh, those who contribute with generosity, lead with zeal. There's mercy and cheerfulness are connected to each other. Uh, I see a tremendous amount of crossover in the approaches we're to take. Prophecy mentions in proportion of faith. Well, wouldn't that be true with teaching or exhortation? It is what Paul says to do in verse 3, according to the measure of faith. Cannot zeal be bought to most of the gifts? We should contribute with generosity. And I say one should teach or administrate or lead or do maintenance with generosity, giving generously of ourselves. If cheerfulness were to be specific to only acts of mercy, what would the kids be learning from a bunch of grumpy teachers? They'd probably learn how to be grumpy. Or, you know, that's, that is the danger of your behavior if it's misled, is that people are watching and paying attention and, and they're going to learn things. Don't teach them the wrong things. Put on cheerfulness. By no means am I arguing Paul has it wrong. I don't think Paul is trying to give full instruction to the approach of performing gifts. It would be me like saying the tongue is designed to taste. I'm not limiting the tongue to just tasting, but it is part of its design is to taste. I don't limit its function. Saying it is isn't saying it hasn't other functions. Pretty much whatever you say about anything, what it is, you just don't have the time to explore the complete depth of what something is. So when Paul says, you know, do these things with the gifts, don't limit him to saying that is the only thing. Likewise, we can look at Paul's list as wise counsel. <clears throat> he is saying to be sure your gift, is, if one of these, is done with this thing included. Well, what about the well-duh items? I mean, you think about it, you got, well, teachers in teaching. Well, duh, I mean, they should. And exhorting and exhortation. Duh. But... You know, this one wasn't tough. At home, every time I give a well duh to my wife, she then points out what I glossed over. And I go, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I missed that. And there was no well duh to it. I should have been paying closer attention. So what's the important Paul that I or important part that I glossed over in Paul's well does? Um, when I first went through it, I that's all I came up with. It was like well, come on, Paul. Yeah, that's obvious. Duh. But I think it's the, the getting it up and getting up and doing it thing. Uh, don't let the gift go to waste. You know, if you've been gifted to exhort, then use it in our exhortation. You know, if you've been gifted with teaching, well, then use it when you're teaching, when you teach. So it's... What I wanted to put in the capital letters, use them. He's saying that again. Don't let the gift go to waste. 
If gifted in serving, then be in that mode. Serve. Whatever the gift God has apportioned to you, be active in that gift. It has a purpose and is intended for the building up of the body. So don't let it atrophy by lack of use. Use it. That's the primary application that I would give to you. Use these gifts that God is giving. Second application. Am I wrong in thinking that just because it isn't on this list doesn't mean it's not a gift? The gift of administration is not on the list, but it's on the list, as I said, uh, that the same Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And if it's clear then, biblically verified, that there are other gifts, then what is then uh, what's listed in this passage with that acknowledged, we are now free to consider if a particular ability to do something is a gift or not. You see that? So that, yes, it's not on the list, but I'm starting to wonder if I've got a gift in some particular mode. The, the criteria seems to be less about what the talent is and more around who's driving the bus. And this text is giving us some pretty clear measures to determine if a gift is for service. Is it a gift and is it for service? It's everything involved in the living sacrifice instructions. I say those are kingdom thinking, humble, sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith that God assigned, and in support of the body. Can you check those four things off? Do you have four boxes with check marks, and if you do, that's when I say you've approached the gift stage. So let's take them one at a time. The kingdom thinking. Step away from the worldly influence. The world does not provide gifts for the building up of the body. God does. It may seem like it does with all the seemingly brilliant things that happen in the world, and they're out there, but did the world provide the nice job to help you be generous. The nice education that enables you to teach. Kingdom thinking is to reset your mind to a heavenly view of where these things come from. Did the world just one day invent education so you can teach in the church? Did the world align all the circumstances that provide for you above your needs so you can give generously? Those answers are no. The world doesn't create things for the church. The world provides for the world, and the church is not of the world. Kingdom thinking is to view all things in perspective of how what you are doing, thinking, saying, or living is related to the kingdom. It's not about you. It's not about the world. It is about the kingdom and its king. So that's heavenly thinking. Humble, sober judgment. I love this one because I'm a man who struggles with humility. Always have been, and I imagine it's always going to be the thorn that I'm asking Jesus to help me with. And so far it's been, I'm leaving it in you and you're going to have to trust me. It's huge. Humility is huge in Christian life. It plays a big role 
in figuring out if we are aligned with God and the use of the gift, if that is what it is. Humility allows you to seek the help and guidance from the Spirit and perhaps by other Christian counsel. Sober judgment is not overly emotional judgment. Turning up the passion or zeal comes after we apply the sober judgment. Overly is not typically my favorite word to have in front of what I do. Overly zealous, overly emotional are a result of not taking the time for sober judgment. They have their place. The zeal, the passion, the emotion that you could put into something has its place and it's not overly doing these things if you've taken the, the time for the sober judgment to understand why you might have to get over, not overly, why you might have to get emotional, why you have to reach out in zeal, why any of these overlies have their overly struck from them thanks to sober judgment. Okay? That's sober judgment. And the measure of faith that God assigned. Faith and trust go hand in hand. For the use of a gift having the most intended or having the most intended influence. Faith in Jesus' strength and trust that He is equipping you for success, not failure, puts you in His hands, not yours. And that's a very, very good place to be. Uh, I was at a retirement party last night for the president of the company. My boss has left and well, not exactly. I mean, his idea of retirement is only coming in two days a week. And he, he works really hard, and he's, he's been a very good boss. He happens to be a, a man of faith who, who loves God. And I was asked to do a, an interview in front of a camera, and they're going to use pieces of that interview and put together a montage, and it lasted about 20 minutes, I think. And I was interviewed for, I can't tell you, 20, 25 minutes? 10 seconds, maybe. I know you can count them in seconds. It's how much of the footage made it into that video. Most of it is cutting room floor. And Jesus made the cut. I mean, it was exciting. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And I said, Ted's strength, the way he was able to do everything he did was because he loves Christ and everything else came from that. And then I said, that's his secret and it's a good one. And I, I smiled in the video. I hope it didn't distract from what I had said, but I was just so pleased that I don't know who the guy was that was doing the cutting and piecing everything together but honestly, when I said it, I went home and told my wife that, yeah, I fit Jesus in there. And she goes, well, what did you say? It's like, I, I don't remember. <laughs> well, did you use this name? Yeah, I don't know if I said Christ or Jesus. And I, I don't really remember anything that I could tell you exactly what I said, but I know that I, I said it. And then there it was on the video. And I expected the world to chop that thing. And that was me coming up short of what Jesus' power is. That guy might have wanted to cut it, but he couldn't. I mean, Jesus was going to make sure it was there. 
You know, because it is that thing of being in a very, very good place in his hands. And that's what Ted's done his entire career. That's what's made him successful. That's what makes the company successful for those who take the time to pay attention and realize that. So putting your trust in Jesus is a very, very good place to be. And then finally, in support of the body. God is not going to assign a member of the body a gift of selfishness. And Christ's love for the church assures the gift will be for the benefit of the body. There's nothing else to say about that. That encapsulates it all. Christ's love for the church assures the gift will be for the benefit of the body. So that's in support of the body. So all these things allow believing Christians to let the gospel, the power of the resurrected Christ, sitting as head of his church, influence the body through assigned gifts. But what's all that mean to the not yet believing masses? The simple answer, I believe the simple answer, is that they will benefit from the gifts by common grace. By common grace, I mean the blessings that God gives to both those he calls and those he doesn't. Things like air to breathe, Scotty, and he was telling us, I don't know, he came up with how many breaths per 11 seconds or something like that, and how all that fits, and are you thinking them on every breath? Are you realizing that this is a gift of God, and believers and non-believers both breathe. We have that gift as common grace. Some of the gifts are... Um, meant to serve in common. You know, it's rain to water or shelter to protect us. They're, they're examples of that common grace. Remember verse 18, living peacefully with all? It is a good example of how gifts used for that purpose are gifts that benefit all. Yes, it's a spiritual gift. Try to explain that in there. You're not going to be able to do that without the power of God. But where is that gift intended? Is it intended for the building up of the body? Absolutely. And at simultaneously, is it common grace? Well, I sure think so for the person that you're not living peacefully with. If that person is a non-believer, an enemy even, feed them. Your enemy's hungry, feed them. If your enemy is not a believer and you feed him, he benefited from the gift that you were given to be able to do so. Here's probably the clearest example of a gift intended to serve the body, yet benefits all. It is a tremendous gift that is delivered with all compassion, and fortunately for every believing brother and sister in this room, it's the gift of evangelism. It is implied in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Where would any believer be if somebody didn't use, in spirit, the gift of evangelism by sharing the gospel of salvation? To admit that God is God and show that, that he's the perfect and, and he's the creator of all, including man. He designed a man in a specific way. And that man sinned. 
and we now sin. But fortunately, the Christ's sacrificial death was payment for that sin, writing us with God. That Christ's sacrificial death did it. Christ's resurrection was victory over death, which is victory over sin. Jesus ascended to his heavenly throne to rule over all things, including us, finally putting us in a position to acknowledge and agree with God, repent, and turn to Christ as Lord. So if you know who it was who used that gift of evangelism, you should thank him or her. More importantly, you can thank the giver of the gift and thank God. Do that with me now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for our salvation and we thank you for the ways you gift your church to sanctify us, to make us more like you. We thank you for the individual gifts that you give each one of us, those in your body, allowing us to participate in your magnificent plan for your church. We are grateful for your uh, the hearts and efforts of your servants who have offered themselves as living sacrifices, who have listened to you and accepted in faith the gifts that you have provided. And we thank you for the ways that you have benefited from that service, that we have benefited from that service. We ask that by your power and wisdom, you would bless us by offering to us opportunities to use the gifts you have given to serve, given us to serve the church. We ask that each of the gifts would be tested by kingdom thinking, humble, sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith that you have assigned and in support of the body. We ask you for a great measure of faith. We pray that in practice the gifts of service would be used in the fullness that they are given and that we would not squelch or limit the spirit with our own thoughts of weakness. Give us all, members of a body, gifts of service to fulfill this church's mission of making disciples of Christ for the kingdom and our vision of witnessing, worshiping, and walking in Christ together. Amen.